Part 2 of our special two-part Wayne Stock episode, Wayne's World 2, starts right now. Welcome back to part two of Wayne Stock, Wayne's World Two. Lucas, you're back again. I'm back again. All right. Um, this is the second part, uh, Wayne's World Two. Um, I think I'll dig into the talking points here real quick. Uh, how do you feel, uh, Wayne's World Two versus Wayne's World One? Um, I still think one is better, but I really enjoy two. Like Del Preston, oh man, I love that guy in this movie. Mm-hmm. So I, there are like characters that I like more in two, but I think overall I like the first movie better. Still, two is very good. Like I, I have nothing negative to say about it, but yeah, I like the first one a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt too. Like I used to be in the two was better camp for a long time, but watching them almost back to back over the last few days. I think one is a better movie. It seems to have a more cohesive story, whereas two seems to be like just ways to get to the next bit. Um, But there's not a lot of comedy sequels that are as good or if not better than the first one. And I think this is one of the rare ones that is. Um, Actually, right before we started recording, I was just like, looking through comedy sequels to see like which ones were and like there wasn't a lot. I mean, there was like, uh, the naked gun Two. the uh, first choice was uh national lampoons, Christmas vacation, which that one for sure. That one's probably better than uh vacation. Although both are great. Then mm-hmm. Austin powers, the spy who yeah. shagged me is better than the original, but yeah, there wasn't a lot. Um, is the spy who shagged me? Is that the one where they introduced Mini Me? Yes, that's Mini Me and Fat Bastard are both in those. Yep, I like that one better. Yeah, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at too. And like you said, I think you made a really good point. I think the supporting cast is much better in this one. I mean, you got Del Preston. I think Chris Farley gets a bigger role in this as a different character. I think he's fantastic in it. Mm-hmm. He really cracks me up. Uh, you get some really good stuff from uh, like Kevin Pollock has a really good scene in it. Um, the uh, the two nerds, which I'll get into those guys later on. That scene's really good too. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's funnier bits in this one, but I think Wayne's World One's a little bit better. Right, but I mean, it's it's like you know, flip a coin. Yeah, they're really. both really good. You're not gonna lose either way, but. Just do what we did and just watch both of them over the last few days. And, you know, that's why we're talking about both of them. We want you guys to uh, experience the Wayne stock. Mm-hmm. Um, another question I had for you is uh, I was looking at the box office for this, and it wasn't nearly as successful as the first one. Uh, do you have – what would be your thoughts on that? 
Um, and like, am I guessing how much I think it was? No, 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 no. I, I did not guessing how much it made, but why, why do you think it wasn't as successful? Um, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe the, uh, maybe the bits, maybe the characters lost their popularity a little bit. Um, it could be, um, some movies came out that, you know, at the time, at the same time that probably were a little bigger. That could be a possibility. Well, that's, uh, I was researching that cause that's like the first thing when I was doing the research for this, I was wondering like why it, bo- like, I wouldn't say it bombed, but it didn't make a lot of its money back. I think it broke even. But in this time frame, you had Schindler's List was out. The Pelican Brief, which at the time, uh, John Grisham movies were like huge. Because I think that was the second one after The Firm. Okay. The Firm was a big hit. This one was also a big hit. You had Mrs. Doubtfire was in its third weekend. And that movie was a monster at the box office. You know, that's, I think that is actually... Tina's favorite comedy may even be her favorite movie of all time. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, also, I thought this was kind of funny. Uh, Sister Act 2 opened the same day, which was the sequel to a very successful comedy. I think Sister Act was 91 or 92. I'm not sure. Um, I, that's, that's a sequel that I like as much as the original, by the way. My uh, my sister and my mom watch those movies religiously. Oh, really? Pun intended. Um, but yeah, like you had uh, those movies, and then uh, Adam's Family Values was also in its like fourth weekend. So you had four comedies in the top ten at the box office. Wayne's World's opening weekend. Yeah, that's it's kind of rough to break into. Um. Sister Act was 92. Oh, thank you. So, yeah, it even came out the same year as the original Wayne's World. But, yeah. So, like, yeah, that's that's a lot of, you know, that's an overload of comedy, so. Yeah, I think that's the reason why. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with the movie. I just, like, when you've got all those kind of movies, like, trying to get, for, essentially vie for the same audience, you know, no one's going to win. Yeah, and you know, sometimes people, uh, you know, will pick movies. They'll pick one movie that they want to go see as opposed to seeing several. So mm-hmm. it could have just been one of those things where they picked a different movie, just wanted to spend their money elsewhere that week. Yeah, that's how I was. Like, I I was notorious for seeing movies multiple times in the theaters, the same thing, and I think I only got to see Wayne's World once. Wayne's World mm-hmm. 2 once at the movie theater. So that tells you how crowded that marketplace was. Yeah. So that's that's kind of why I think it was. I don't think there's anything wrong with the movie. And I don't really think it's like people tired of the characters because it's really only like a about a year and a half after the first one. It's a quick but, turnaround. Yeah. Sequel. Well, I, I think it's to make sure that it made as much money as it could. Because nowadays, like, I'm, Wayne's World 2 would have been like, 15 years later. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of what I have. Um, we'll just go right into the tail of the tape so we can get into the categories. What do you think? Sounds good. The only reason I wanted to do the talking points is I just like thought it'd be really cool to lead off with like 
like which one you preferred one versus two i i think you do an excellent job hosting this show well, i'm glad somebody does you're the first person that tell, has told me that I, I do an awesome job at hosting it's usually like eh, you're all right or you could do better i'm not i don't know I'm, i may not be a point guard i'm more like uh I don't facilitate well, but you get me, get me in the lane. I'm going to score. So you're like, you're like LeBron. Sometimes you'll play the point, just yeah. because it's time. It's time to take over. Yeah, I'm like LeBron. I'm the LeBron James of shitty movie podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the tale of the tape for Wayne's World Two. This one was released on December the 10th, 1993. Uh, directed by Steven Sergic. I guess that's his name. I guess there's the one uh, name I'll butcher in this episode. Uh, I don't think you butchered anybody's name in the last one. I didn't, but this is a two-parter, so. Still counts then, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Kept keeping the streak alive. Uh, This one stars Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. Tia Carrere is also back for part two. Uh, Christopher Walken and Ralph Brown round out the main cast. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes score is uh, 60% from critics and 63 from audiences. And as we were kind of discussing earlier, uh, 80, uh, on a $40 million budget, only made $48.2 million. So wasn't a big hit. And this movie is currently not streaming anywhere, which we told you Wayne's World 1's not streaming anywhere either. So right. get on that's, at HBO. Paramount Plus, HBO Max, somebody. $80 million from the first movie to the second movie difference. That's that's a really big drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. But, I don't know. Uh, movie-going audiences are real fickle. Yes, we are. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So, uh, do you want to go into Research Corner first? Because uh, I found some fairly interesting uh, facts about this. Yeah, what you got, man? Okay. Well, for the research corner, uh, first one, I thought this was really cool, and I think it would have been awesome if they decided to do it, but uh, Nirvana was offered a chance to be in this movie. They even showed Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic a rough cut of the movie, and they both turned it, or they said they weren't interested in doing it, even Hmm. though Kurt Cobain was apparently a big fan of the first one. Yeah, that's weird. Um, Rob Lowe was approached to play uh, the villain in this one, but playing a different character altogether. Oh, but yeah, he, I don't know if I like that idea. Yeah, he opted not to because he was afraid that audiences would get confused. Like, it's the same actor playing two different roles, so he decided not to do it, and then they got Christopher Walken instead. Well, we were talking about Chris Farley being in this one. I got a little confused. I thought it was the same character at first. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until they said his name that I really realized that it wasn't. Right. Yeah, I guess I never really thought about that when I seen it in theaters. Like, is he supposed to be the security guard? Yeah, that's. I thought he was. Mm-hmm. Well, I think at that time, too, I didn't really remember Chris Farley as much as I did when he was in the second one. I think he had started started to gain some steam on SNL. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Um, 
the bad licorice scene that uh, when Wayne or Garth is telling the crowd, like, hey, there's some uh, bad red rope licorice circulating through the crowd. That's kind of a, a homage to Woodstock 69, where the uh, promoters got on and told people that there was bad brown acid circulating through the crowd. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, this one I thought was very, very interesting. The original idea for Wayne's World 2 had Wayne and Garth forming their own country and seceding from the United States. Yeah, I I don't think I like that idea. I like the idea that they came up with for this movie, you know, making it Wayne stock. The premise was based on the 1949 British film Passport to Pimlico. But uh, Paramount didn't notice how similar the two movies were until they got late into pre-production. So, and they couldn't get the rights to it. So, uh, Sherry Lansing, who was a Paramount executive at the time, Mm -hmm. uh, I think she's now Tom Cruise's production partner for like the Mission Impossible stuff. Top Gun, basically the only stuff Tom Cruise makes anymore. Um, She threatened Mike Myers with a lawsuit, even threatened to take his house for putting them in that situation. And she told him that he had to come up with a new idea for the movie and for him not to come back until he got a new idea. Okay. That's uh, the giant ballsy dick move by that lady. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like you said, though, I like this idea much better than this forming their own country. I mean, it may have worked, but I just, that idea on paper doesn't sound very good. It doesn't sound as good as, what we got right the last one i have is the uh, the brown m&m story that dell tells throughout the whole movie is uh-huh. based off of a real life story uh van halen in their uh, 1982 during their world tour uh they had a a tour writer which basically is like a list of demands or that the promoters have to meet for the band to play and they mm-hmm. put the uh they needed a jar of M&Ms with the brown ones taken out. And they put that in there to make sure that the promoter basically adhered to every single safety standard that they had for the tour. Because I guess this is like the first big tour where these huge stage setups, all these lights and everything were uh, put into production for each night. So they did it to make sure that like, okay, well, this safety standard needs to be put in place. That one needs to be put in place. And they could always tell that a promoter didn't do it when they didn't see the M&Ms without the brown ones in the their dressing room. It's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Originally, it just sounds like they're just being a diva. <laughs> yeah, they, they did it to make sure that they read it to the very end. Well, that's good. Because I guess good idea. I was reading that somebody, it was a show in Colorado, they didn't do it. And I guess the lighting was so heavy that it started or something with the stage was too heavy and it couldn't support the stage itself could support one of the props on stage and it, the stage collapsed. Holy shit. Yeah. That's nuts. So that's all I got. What do you got, dude? Um, so the filming for the Aerosmith concert, uh, at the beginning of the movie Mm -hmm. supposedly takes place in Chicago. Um, it actually took place in, uh, California in San Diego, California, and San Diego. Uh, Mike Myers. <laughs> What's that? 
San Diego. San Diego. Um, Mike Myers and Dana Carvey were actually in the audience uh, for the filming. So oh, really? They were actually there Yeah, at the concert. I thought it was really cool. Um, I'm also jealous because I'd really like to see Aerosmith. Yeah, that's one of the few bands I haven't seen yet either. Um, Wayne's visions of meeting Jim Morrison in the desert were inspired by him going on a spiritual journey after uh, his father died, after Mike Myers' father died. He went on a spiritual journey, and his visions of Jim Morrison were based off of that. Oh, really? Yeah, which is cool and really sad at the same time. Mm Mm-hmm. Not so much of a uh, fun fact. Yeah. <laughs> you know me, I'm just full of fun facts of death and all that other fun stuff. Um, when Cassandra is watching Wayne's World um, on TV, uh, the actual the episode is a real skit from Saturday Night Live. Yeah, um, I remember the Leprechaun one. Yeah. So that is all the facts I have. All right. That's some good stuff. Yeah, I remember the Leprechaun one because I, I was like, fuck, they've done that before? They're recycling that? And then I guess it makes sense to save time. Yeah. Well, plus, I mean, it's it's already pre-done for you, so you don't mm-hmm. have to do it over right. again. Okay, the uh, I Drink Your Milkshake Award for the best scene of the movie. I drink your milkshake I drink it up! Uh, my five nominees are the uh, the first time Dell tells the brown M&M story at <laughs> yeah. Stan Mikita's. Mm-hmm. I think out of all the Wayne's World movies, I think that's the, the, the lines I reference the most. Because sometimes it's like, it's so fucking, that story is so out there. It seems <laughs> like it changes a little bit each time because he doesn't remember it. Exactly. So I think it always gets changed up a little bit. Yeah. I think it's the partic- like the, the artists that are involved. I think like Jeff Beck is on there once. Then Keith Moon is another time. Mm-hmm. That story is just so ludicrous, and it cracks me up every time he tells it. Um, fun fact for you, too. Uh, the actor that plays him, uh, he actually played that in another movie, almost the, the same character. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forget the, the name of the movie off the top of my head, but yeah, he plays it almost verbatim. The the same hair, the same look, the same accent, everything. This is a, I guess they call it the, a spiritual like reincarnation of that character from this movie. Well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's right. And I also didn't know this till much later. Uh, he is a pilot in Star Wars Episode One. Oh, I, yeah, I didn't the know actor. that either. Yeah, uh, I have his action figure at my house. Huh, that's pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, I wish I knew somebody that uh, did the alterations where you can, like, make the figures, like, you can change something about them. I would just say, hey, can you paint him up to be Del Preston? <laughs> Put on a great show. I was saving. I might try that that impression at some point later on in the in the show. Nice. Um, the second nominee is I have uh, Wayne fights Cassandra's dad in their apartment. I just love that scene because it's like a, I think it's a pretty good send up of like whenever like really good 
uh, martial arts movies get dubbed for the U.S., they kind of lose a little bit of their appeal because of how bad they dub them. Yeah, it it was ridiculously dubbed. I I have that same one, and I I wrote it down as the horribly dubbed fight with Cassandra's dad. Yeah, that that's actually even a better title. Um, I have uh, Garth and Honey Hornet's date. <laughs> that's got some of the best stuff in the movie, and we'll save like the lines for later on. But I really love that. And then like the next morning, Garth comes out with the robe. And he's got the the pipe that blows the bubbles, and he's just spoofing Cary Grant. Mm-hmm. I hope I wasn't too much of an animal. <laughs> I just love that. Good morning, darling. And she he asked later on when she's playing the smooth jazz, or early in the scene when she's playing the smooth jazz, if she's got any mega death. I fucking love that. <laughs> um, I have Wayne stops Cassandra's wedding. Uh, it's pretty much not shot for shot, but it's a pretty accurate uh, recreation of the graduate scene where Dustin Hoffman's character tries to stop Catherine Ross from getting married. Yeah. That's even when you get that really good bit, which we used early on, I think for the award for the best bit performance was the, I once knew a girl on Gordon street. Yeah. And like the first time I seen that just totally caught me off guard when they sub out the regular actor for Charlton Heston. Yeah. I think I said to my buddy, I was like, fuck, that's Charlton Heston, who I knew from Planet <laughs> of the Apes and stuff like that. Right, right, right. And then the the last one I have is the uh, the multiple endings. I, I love how they do those. And they they swapped out the Scooby-Doo ending for the – they did the, the sad ending where Wayne and Garth are pretty much going to die in the desert. Mm-hmm. They didn't like that one, so they said basically, like, fuck it, we're going to go out in a blaze of glory, so they do the Thelma and Louise ending, which – if anyone's seen that, that's kind of how that movie ends, too. And then, of course, they do the happy ending like they always do. So those are my five. Um, let's see. I have when they first met Del Preston at his house. He's hanging upside down like a fucking bat. Yep. And he's like, uh, this adds to 10 years on your life. Just ask Keith Richards. I actually, uh, that might be coming up in a little bit. Nice. Um, when they were spying on Cassandra as the village people, I thought that was hilarious too. Yeah, even when um, they go to the bar and they do the the YMCA dance, I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, it's like that's one of those scenes that like the way that they're dressed, you kind of see that coming. Oh yeah, it's like oh yeah, there's gonna be a village people reference somewhere, and the fact that the they have the Native American and the vision, like Wayne's vision quest. I'm like, that's that's gonna happen. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> when they were doing the roadie tryouts and they were shooting the the tennis balls at them, like people throwing shit from the audience. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris Farley's like getting pelted, and the way he was screaming and yelling was just fucking hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> when they meet handsome Dan. He's not so handsome. Oh yeah, I'm handsome ham. Mm. Um, and then I have when uh, Aerosmith shows up and rocks the show at the end. Yeah, that's, that's kind of like part of the the Wayne the the happy ending where Wayne or Aerosmith plays because I think that's like off of I think that's Get a Grip had just come out. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like 10 months earlier or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. So that's the ones I have. So who wins? Uh, Probably uh, Dell when he's telling the story about the brown M&M's. Yeah, like I, I think it's between that. I really like the when Wayne stops the wedding, simply because like they nail the graduate stuff pretty good. And then even when like he's banging on the window, and then Cassandra's dad turns around, looks at him, and he mumbles "son of a bitch" under his breath. And then yeah. Christopher Walker <laughs> does the same thing, and then they do the priest. <laughs> he says "son of a bitch" too. <laughs> I don't know why it always makes me laugh, but yeah, I'm going to go with Del Preston telling the story just because like, it just kind of gives you a glimpse that this guy's fucking burned out. Yeah. And I bet he's lived a wild life. <laughs> he's seen some shit. He has. So I'm going to go with that one too. That's a really good one. The King Kong ain't got shit on me award for the best line of the movie. King Kong ain't got shit on me. Um, I have the, I, it's not really a line. It's more like a string of dialogue. Yes. So there I am in Sri Lanka, formerly Ceylon at about three o'clock in the morning, looking for 1000 brown M&Ms to fill a brandy glass or Aussie wouldn't go on stage that day. So Jeff Beck pops his head around the door and mentions there's a little sweet shop on the edge of town. So we go. And it's closed. So there's me and Keith Moon and David Crosby breaking into that little sweet shop. Well, instead of a guard dog, they've got this bloody great big Bengal tiger. (laughs) I managed to take out the tiger with a can of mace, but the shop owner and his son were a different story altogether. I had to beat them to death with their own shoes. Nasty business, really. But sure enough, I got the M&Ms, and Ozzy went on stage and did a great show. <laughs> I have that one, too. I have that entire dialogue, too. Yeah, I, I, copied, I copied it from IMDb. It was like, I can't remember it verbatim, so I'm just going to copy it down. Oh, man, um, it's, so, it's so funny. It was hard to pinpoint one particular line, but... Uh, the honey hornet Garth scene back at her house when she says, take me Garth. And then Garth says, take you where I'm low on gas and you need a jacket. (laughs) And then also she says, I'm going to be Frank. And he goes, okay, can I still be Garth? I'm like, damn, that's fucking gold. And then, uh, he says, she says something and he's like, do you have any mega death? Yeah. She mentions, he mentions that too. Um, I also have uh, when Wayne and Garth are at the uh, the uh, office to get the forms for the for Wayne stock. Mm-hmm. And they find it, like Kevin Pollock takes his glasses off and he's got the he's the ocular albino. Mm-hmm. And at the end, he's telling them, like they need the money, they need to have everything filled out ten days before the event, and then they start making the references to his eye. He goes, yeah. "I think I have an eye for detail," but the one that I really liked was. We'll take this home and uh, cross all the T's and dot the lowercase J's. Yeah. I still use that one. one. written down, too. Um, You mentioned it earlier, but uh, it's the scene where, or the line, because, listen, Sonny Jim, sleeping like this will add 10 years to your life. 
I learned from Keith Richards when I toyed with the stones. This may be the reason why Keith cannot be killed by conventional weapons. <laughs> and it's so true. He's still alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, the last one is when Wayne asked Dell, he goes, is that you with Bob Dylan? Who's that old lady? And he replies back with, that's my old lady. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we pretty much have all the same ones on this. Uh, <laughs> I, Although I had one from when they, uh, when they first meet him at the at his apartment, and uh, they're they're talking about uh, having the half naked Indian and Jim Morrison, and he goes, "Didn't you think it was a bit, it was a little bit unnecessary to see the crack in that Indian's bottom?" Oh yeah, or he goes, "Did you find it to be a trite unnecessary to see the crack in that <laughs> Indian's bottom?" Oh god, that was so funny. Yeah. Uh, um. Go ahead. I was going to ask you who wins. Who wins all the, the, the lines? Unless you have any more nominees to add. Uh, it's definitely Del Preston going through the whole spiel about uh, the little sweet shop. You know what? Like <clears throat> Ralph Brown, who plays Del Preston, is on a roll on this episode right now. He may end up sweeping most of these. Yeah. You know what? I bet we may have had a chance to get him on here. Well, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to uh, we'll have to get our producer on that. See if we can like run it back and interview him later. Yeah, the the Wayne's World Part Deer, or dear. something like that. The the revisit. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm in agreement. It's the Dell Preston telling the the Eminem story again. So yeah, he's two for two so far. Um. The Lou Brown Give Him the Heater Award for the best bit performance. Get about the curveball, Ricky. Give him the heater. Uh, who do you have as your nominees? Um, I have Ed O'Neill again as Glenn. Um, he gets dark at this one. I mean, like, real fucking dark. Yeah, it does. Like, rip their beating heart out. And... Yeah, I'm like, whoa. Um, James Hong as Jeff Wong. Um... Harry Shearer as Handsome Dan, and Chris Farley as Milton. Okay, wow, your list is completely different than mine. Sweet. That's the way it should be. Um, I have Kim Basinger as Honey Hornet, just, <laughs> just simply for that name. And she's actually yeah. really good playing the femme fatale, who's essentially trying to seduce Garth to kill her husband. Mm -hmm. um, I have Kevin Pollack as the guy at the office. Um. I have Charlton Heston as the gas station attendant mm. simply because we named the award after him for a while. Yeah. And then the two nerds at the Aerosmith show. Uh, one of those guys is Bob Odekirk. Oh, wow. It is, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The two guys are Robert Smigel who writes for Sat He used to write for Saturday night live. I don't know if he still does. And then Bob Odekirk's the other one. Huh, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So we've got eight nominees. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'll let you pick. I'm going with Kim Basinger. I I mean, it, she she was really good as the femme fatale, as you said. Yeah. And I mean, she's not in it long. Like, I think this is the one award. Like, I 
almost thought about like can Ralph Brown qualify for this one too, but he's in it a little too much. Yeah. He's essentially the third. I think he's the third lead in this. I think he's in there almost as much as uh, Tia Carrere. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I got to give it to her. Although uh, it was hard to just narrow them down. Like your choices are really good. Drew Barrymore's in there for a second. <laughs> as the Swedish yeah, the uh, receptionist. Bjergen near the Kyrgyz Fjergs. <laughs> yeah, her being in there. Yeah, that one was really good too. Uh, Harry Shearer as Handsome Dan. Uh, also, uh, Ted McGinley is in it. He's the Mr. Scream. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's him. He was uh, Jefferson and Married with Children. Oh, yeah. I knew I knew him from somewhere. Yep, that's him. Uh, Rip Taylor as Rip Taylor. He's Rip Taylor's awesome. Yeah, he was funny. Um, yeah, so, I mean, Kim Basinger, but like, those are all good nominees. Can't go wrong with any of them. Oh, Heather Locklear's in it too for a brief minute, minute too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like we were saying before, all the bit players in this, in this movie, like all the, the side actors were all excellent in mm-hmm. this. Yeah. And, and better than the first movie in our opinion. Yeah. I think so too. Like the, the, they beefed up the, the supporting players a little bit better. Um, yeah. So yeah, we'll go Kim Basinger. I think that's a good, that's a good winner. Mm. Which I found out. Argue. Uh, little fun fact about that. Uh, apparently, she didn't want to do this movie, but Dana Carvey gave the script to Alec Baldwin because Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger used to be married. I don't know they're not anymore. Because I know there was a thing with Alec Baldwin's wife was pretending to be Spanish, I think, and she's not. Oh, is that her? Yeah, that was a big brush up. Oh boy. Um, but when uh, Alec Baldwin hosted Saturday Night Live, Dana Carvey gave him the script to give to her, and he told her she needed to do this. So that's how she ended up being in the movie. Well, I'm glad he did. Yeah, because um, she is our uh, she is our uh, Lou uh, Lou Brown winner. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think she foreseen that. She's like, you know, there's going to be a small two-bit podcast 30 years down, or 25, 30 years down the road. They're going to give me an award, so I should probably do it for that reason. Well, that's why she is so big, because she had the foresight. Yeah, she knew what she was doing. Um, the Eric Stoltz Award for the part that needs recast. Uh, I actually have somebody for this one. Do you have anybody you want to nominate first? Um, I have Christopher Walken and the, I told you the, the reason I have it, um, I was laughing at my own notes. Um, I put, because you can get anyone to play a greaseball dick face. (laughs) So, so just anyone in that, that role, I think you can, you can have a villain. Now I do like Christopher Walken in this movie and I wouldn't necessarily want to replace him, but I just think you could. Right. But we, you don't have like, it's one of those awards where like it's probably not going to pop up every week, but if you think that you could redo that, somebody better than go for it. Do you have anybody in mind that could have done it? I mean, you said anybody, but I'm kind of curious to see who you had specifically in mind. Well, um, speaking of like Tommy boy, I think Dan Aykroyd could have done it. I, I think he plays a pretty good villain. 
Yeah, I don't know with Dan Aykroyd, though. I just don't buy him as somebody that could sweep Cassandra off of her feet, you know, to where Cassandra would think about marrying him. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I can see Walken pulling that off a little bit more. Hmm. I don't know. Dan Aykroyd's got quite a bit of charm to him. He does, but I can't see him doing the uh, doing it like Walken can. I have a nominee for this category, too. And it's uh, Michael Nichols, who plays Jim Morrison. Mm. Now, since obviously Oliver Stone's uh, version of The Doors is kind of uh, the basis for Jim Morrison being in this, and they spent $40 million on this movie, so I don't understand where all that money went. But why not get see if you can get Val Kilmer to do it? He had played Jim Morrison in The Doors. I think it would have been funny. Maybe Val Kilmer was approached and just decided that, like, no, I'm not going to make fun of myself for that, and maybe he turned it down. But I think that would have been really cool to see him kind of have a little fun with that role and just like, okay, I'll do it, and just be in Wayne's world. Yeah, that's a good point. That would have been really cool. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think it would have been a nice little call out to his movie too. Right. But I think it's just one of those things where Val Kilmer takes himself too seriously. Could and be. I, and I couldn't see him doing it. Which is sad, too, because like, I thought that would have been really funny to have him actually be Jim Morrison. Yeah. You shouldn't really, I mean, with anything you do, you really shouldn't take yourself too seriously. No, you shouldn't. I mean, we don't hear. That's why the quality is so bad. Well, it's mostly my quality. All right. Fair point. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, the last award we've got is, of course, the I'm the King of the World Award for who wins the movie. I'm the King of the World! Um, I don't know. The, the admiration he's gotten from us so far, I think this is a pretty easy call. But uh, who do you have? Or do you have any other nominees? I'll, I'll just, just for argument's sake, we already know who we picked for, to win this. But just for argument's sake, um, I have Dana Carvey as Garth because I feel like in this movie he was much better and more to the forefront um, as Garth in this movie as opposed to the first one. Yeah, like I didn't think about that, but that's a very good point. Um, he's really given an opportunity to shine in this one. Like I think he's more of the sidekick to set up Mike Myers more in part one where he has, like, more to do in this one. I, that's a good point. And, like, I think the best scene in the whole movie is honestly the Garth and Honey Hornet in her house. Like, that, to me, that's the one scene in this movie that I always, like, laugh out loud every time I watch it. Yeah. Like, that's the, it, to me, it's funny. the best scene in the movie. There's so much good stuff going on in that. Um, but do you have anybody else? No, well, I mean, I have... The winner. Uh, the winner. The winner, Ralph Brown as Del Preston. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of hard to give it to, to anybody else. I mean, you can make the case for Carvey and uh, even Mike Myers being able to pull off since he was primarily responsible for, like, the writing on this, crafting a pretty solid sequel, which we said earlier, comedy sequels are not very good, probably – Probably 90% of the time, they're turds. 
Yeah. But this is one of the rare occasions where they are. They're pretty good, and I could maybe see him having a case for it. You made a very good point with Dana Carvey. But, yeah, it's it's got to be Dell. It's got to be Ralph Brown. Yeah. Because it's just, I mean, that character is just so over the top and fucking hilarious. And we know somebody who is kind of like a Dell Preston. Tony Sturr. Yeah. I don't think he was quite bur- as burned out as him. But, yeah, like, there's everybody knows that one, like, friend that is just, like, party too hard and like he just isn't all the way there i mean he's even talking about like we didn't even mention this as part of like the best scenes the best lines but he has when they're training like he basically's telling them like we need to have one guy running the backstage we need to have one guy running the front stage they're talking about pill boxes with machine guns they have cyanide capsules if shit goes south (laughs) i was like what the fuck is going on here what kind of shit have you been into? Right. What kind of music festival required fucking machine guns and cyanide capsules? But when yeah, Metallica I mean, Metallica played in front of a million people. That's a very good point. Uh, but yeah, I, I I think he steals every scene he's in. I mean, like, even though they start to beat that uh, the Eminem story into the ground a little bit, it still it still works within the context of the story. I would have been cool with like a Del Preston throwback movie. You know what? That would make, if Mike Myers and if he's interested in revisiting that world, I could easily see that being like, like a mini series on uh, Paramount plus since they own Wayne's world. Yeah. Just do like a five, a five episode, like the, the trials and tribulations of Del Preston. Or the adventures of Dell Preston. I'd fucking watch that. See that uh see that night where he had to go get Ozzy his M and M's. Yeah, they probably won't show the shopkeeper and his kid getting beaten to death, but I I think it would just be amusing to see him at Woodstock. Cause remember he says that he remembers Woodstock, it rained for a while, then it cleared up, and he almost had another thought, but then he forgot it. <laughs> yeah, like what the hell was he doing there? Right. But, yeah, like, make that happen, somebody. That would be totally cool. Well, I don't think Wayne's World has the appeal that it did back then, but or that it does back then that it does now. But Yeah, but there's still, like, people around our age that would, I think, would, you know, for nostalgia even, nostalgia purposes, would watch it. Right. Well, I think you'd have to get Wayne and Garth back together to jumpstart it. Because, I mean... Well, they're, they're at least friendly now. Yeah. Uh, I was reading some of that stuff. Like, their relationship was... It went from being, like, like that co-worker that you're cordial with but not friends with to they, they got pretty icy. Yeah. Which is sad because that's a, that's a really good yeah. te- comedy team and just... I know egos get in the way. And Mike Myers always struck me as a type that had, like, a super huge ego. Well, I you know, you read stories about him you know being a total asshole like the director the first one not wanting to work with him on the second one and him possibly even barring her from working on the second one mm-hmm. yeah well so del preston almost sweeps the entire categories he pulls a uh, return of the king type run here on the wayne's world 2 episode yeah he does 
All right. So, uh, do you have any final thoughts on our Wayne stock episode? No. Uh, well, maybe like I feel like these two movies, watching them back to back, has been really fun to revisit and you know remind me of all the the lines that we use to each other all the time and when we used to work together, how we would say all this shit all the time and it's just fun to revisit all that stuff. Yeah, like just going back and watching these. It was just really fun to reminisce on, like, uh, like it took me back to the time where, like, I practically lived at the movie theater. Like, I was there all the time during this this era. It was, just, it was really fun to look back at, like, some of the stuff that I loved as a, like, I wasn't a kid, but I was much younger than I am now. And I think both these movies still hold up really well. Like, I think part two really, like, I think one has a better story but they both have really good, like, they both reference, like, pop culture very well at the time. And, I mean, being a, a child of that era, like, that stuff still really resonates with me. So let me ask you this before we go. Who wins out of both movies? Oh, who wins the Wayne stock? It's Dana Carvey and Mike Myers. It's their show. Like, they're, like, the two guys, like, for one... Like I reiterated in the Wayne's World one episode, but like, I, can you really see anybody else playing these two guys? No. Yeah, see, neither could I. Yeah, they I don't think these characters to life. I don't so. think this. Well, now since rock music is not really very popular, but like, even if they tried, like, I just don't think you could even remake that today. Yeah, probably not. But yeah, I think that as a whole. Mike Myers and Dana Carvey win. But we it was too easy to let them win part two, so we had to give it to somebody else. Well, uh, yeah, but I still think... Yeah, he, he's still, still fantastic. Ralph Brown won it anyway. I'm totally he, cool with that. I'm totally cool with him winning it. And he's probably the one guy that we can actually mail him the You Want Our Movie award, <laughs> and he would be like, oh, cool, he'd put it up and display it. He <laughs> wouldn't crumple it up, or it would even make it to him like I think it would actually make it to him I gotta go warm the printer up <laughs> maybe we should start doing that though. I think that'd be really funny I do think <clears throat> I, and hey you know you never know they might listen to it one time yeah one time it's just like god this is hot trash and just never listen to it again and they'd probably tweet about it which would get more people to listen to us and pretty soon that five star rating on uh Apple is going to be like a one and a half star rating, but well worth it though. That's right. Harrison Ford tweeted that we were hot trash. <laughs> <laughs> I would give anything for Harrison Ford to call me hot trash. Yeah, so would I. He would probably say it too. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our special two part Wayne Stock uh, episode. Uh, be sure to check out the first one. I guess it makes sense to listen to one before you listen to this one. So uh, that wraps up our special two-part Wayne Stock episode where you heard our thoughts on Wayne's World 1 and 2. Lucas, what do we got coming up next Monday? Uh, we have my favorite movie of all time, Forrest Gump. Wow, that should be interesting. That should be uh, pretty decent dialogue. Uh, we'll save it for the show, but you know how I feel about Forrest Gump. So... <laughs> Tune in next Monday to hear potentially Lucas and I have a verbal fist fight. 
or maybe not. But uh, we will catch you guys next Monday. See you, everybody. Bye.